0: to Bread for the Journey, which is a global online Bible study and fellowship. And we are fellowshipping over the Word of God with believers and followers of Jesus Christ as we grow and abide in Him together. This is participatory, our meeting. And for those of you who are just coming on with us, we are reading uh, the Bible all the way through. It's a chronological read. It's a reading plan you can find at touroftruth.com. We are on day 59 today if you're starting new with us you don't have to start at day one you can start right where we are and just carry on as we move through the word of the lord pastor sylvia would you please Uh, Do us the honor of leading us in uh, the worship and prayer. Most
1: precious Heavenly Father, how we come just to lift up your name, to give you praise, to give you honor, to give you glory. We thank you, Lord, that we are allowed, not because we have earned it, we deserve it, or we are Able to do it in ourselves, but simply because you are the Lord our God. You delight in our presence, and you, through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, allow us to come boldly into the throne room of grace. We are forever grateful. We are forever thankful. We are forever and ever going to declare that you are the Lord our God. We invite you to come and to have your way, Lord God, whatever and however you deem that it would go tonight, may it be done so that you can receive all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Father, we have an enemy and the enemy does not want your word to go forward, does not want the glorification of your name, the exalting of your name. He does not want what you desire to accomplish and do on the earth to be done. So, God, right now we say, bind him and allow all that you have purposed before the foundation of the earth to be done bring your sons and your daughters in and under your wings open their eyes their ears their minds that they may receive all that you have in store you are the very lover of our soul and there is no place and no one that we desire that we hungry that we are hungering and thirsty for than you lord god May tonight bring a smile to your face because each and every one of us want your heart to to rejoice in joy because your creation, you created us, Lord God, are seeking you, delighting in you, and seeking to bring forth all that is in your heart. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come take control, for Jesus does not just rule and reign in heaven, but on the earth. This is your night, and we are your people. Do all that you desire to do, and we are going to thank you and praise you in advance in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Sylvia. Again, to reiterate, the way uh, this uh, fellowship operates is that Uh, The facilitator, uh, my name is Krista Smith, by the way. I'm one of the facilitators with Tour of Truth along with Pastor Sylvia Laughlin and Pastor Jed Robine. And we are facilitating walking through God's word. So uh, with those who come and join us in this online global fellowship, um, but it's participatory. And so we want you to interact and engage and share what the Lord is uh, saying to you and questions you might have, feel free. This is a place that you can do that um, and you can jump in. But the way that it will begin is that Pastor Jed will sort of unpack an overview, and then he'll lead us into a time of discussion and perhaps questions. I just wanted to mention a little bit about Numbers uh, before Pastor Jed just continues to unpack it. Um, Numbers, you know, it's kind of a strange title for the book. The book is called Numbers because at the start, um, God ordered a counting of the people like a military census um, in the 12 tribes of Israel. And after counting uh, all of the men who were over 20 and fit for fighting, um, the Israelites begin to travel through the wilderness in these well-ordered divisions with God in the middle um, of the Ark of the Covenant. He was in the middle of their camp always. And so the book also ends with a census and the number of men counted at the beginning and the end of the book are actually, both times, they're around 600,000 uh, men. But actually, at the end of the book, it's new men that are being numbered with the exception of two, Joshua and Caleb. And so we'll get into unpacking that story as we go. But um, we see here that there's nothing wrong with counting. And you know, on the day of Pentecost, someone said, 2,998, splash, 2,999, splash, 3,000 splash. So we see, you know, shepherds also have to count sheep and fishermen, they count their fish. So there's nothing wrong with counting unless the reason that you're counting is that you're motivated by pride. And that's when King David got in trouble. And we see that in another book. But King David, there was a time where he got in trouble with the Lord for counting his men, taking a census. King David counted his troops after. He won the battle, but he should have counted them before because Jesus even said in Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 31, he said, no man going into battle doesn't sit down first and count his troops to see whether he has more than the enemy. So here in the book of Numbers, um, they were counting their troops before the battle and numbering the fighting men of Israel before they had to meet an enemy. And there are many things that we need to also learn from this book. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul talks about the book of Numbers. And he says, these things happen to them as examples for us, that uh, they were written down to warn us. And it says who, they're, who it's written down to warn. It says those who live at the end of the age, that's us. And so now I'd like to ask Jed to talk with us a bit more about this book as he unpacks some of what we've been reading and leads us in further discussion. Pastor Jed.
2: As we've been studying Leviticus and now we're into the book of Numbers, there's a few things that the Lord laid on my heart for us this evening. One of the things that the Lord really laid on my, hand, on my heart, and this is where I want to spend just the bulk of the time of our conversation this evening, uh, is... In the Christian's relationship with the law, as we read through the law of Moses, um, this was confusing for the early church. You can read about all that in Acts 15 and and previous chapters. Um, What do we do with these Gentiles that are getting saved? Do they come under the law of Moses? Um, What is the the what Lord, what are you doing with the law of Moses? And I want to, as we're studying it, it's a perfect time to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And we have the benefit of Christ has come the first time, and we have New Testament theology to look back onto what he did previously to understand what the Lord wants us to take away. And so as we're studying the the scriptures now, um, I want to read the scriptures to us as we set the table for this conversation about uh, the Mosaic law in particular. And and we need to remember, God only works through covenants. uh, And the covenants are always from God to man, and they're progressive. And so God's bringing forth the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head. That's Jesus. So we go through the the covenant of Noah. God promised never to flood the earth again, made a covenant. Um, Noah is representative of baptism. Peter talks about that. It's a picture of God saving a remnant, the ark. You know, Jesus is the ark of humanity. There is a way through judgment. We have the Abrahamic covenant. You know, God picks one man. There are no Jews or Gentiles. Out of one man, he's the father. Paul calls him the father of Jews and Gentiles, and we'll read that in a moment. But from there, we go to, to where we are now in the story. God is defining further his culture and his ways, and he's teaching Israel uh, how to walk with him, and they are to teach his ways and his laws to the nations. We're going to get to David uh, you know, down the line when God makes a covenant and says, one of your descendants will be on my throne forever. And we know that's Jesus. You know, Jesus is the son of David, and God establishes. A new covenant in Ezekiel. You can read about that Ezekiel 26 or Ezekiel 36 and uh, Jeremiah 31. God establishes it with Israel, extends it out into the nations, which is where we are. Um, You know, Jesus told his disciples, we got to, there's another flock I need you to go to. He's going to gather in the tribes, every tribe and tongue. And that's where, where we are in the story. We're in the new covenant. And so to understand from a new covenant perspective, our relationship, like what does God want us to glean from the Mosaic Covenant? What's applicable? What's not? What has changed? What is the same? These are sometimes really confusing conversations. And I just felt the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, let's get oriented to uh, to the New Covenant and understand from a New Covenant perspective, the Mosaic Covenant and its role uh, in the life of a believer. So I hope that all makes sense as an intro. Uh, I want to dive right in and just go to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read the word of God and just allow this to speak to us because we've all been reading Leviticus. This is in Leviticus, God's giving, this is the first giving of the law. He does it again in Deuteronomy. That's the second telling after 40 years in the desert before they go in. And so all this is fresh in our minds of, you know, all of the, the duties, protocols, laws, uh, all of the uh, sacraments and the specifications that God lays out to his people. Um, Paul starts to talk about this in Galatians 3, um, and so I recommend, if this starts to stir you, to study it in addition to what we're reading in Leviticus Numbers or as we're going through the Torah. Um, so we'll just start reading here, Galatians 3. Oh foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own effort? You have suffered so much for the good news. Surely it's not in vain, was it? Are you going to just throw it all away? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, so God declared him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are all those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles too on the basis of their faith god promised the good news to abraham long ago when he said all the nations will be blessed through you that's the abrahamic covenant obviously and so it is all who put their faith in christ share the same blessing abraham received because of his faith but those who depend on the law to make them right with god are under his curse for the scriptures say cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all these commands that are written in god's book of the law." consequently it is clear that no one can ever be right with god by trying to keep the law for the scriptures say it is through faith that the that a righteous person has life how different from this way of faith is the way of the law which says if you wish to find life by obeying the law you must obey all of its commands but christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross he took upon himself the curse For our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through the work of Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. And we Christians receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child or seed and notice that it doesn't say the promise was to his children plural as if as if it meant many descendants the promise was to his child and that of course means Christ this is what i'm trying to say the agreement god made with abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when god gave the law to moses for god would be breaking his promise for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law then it would not be the result of accepting god's promise But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. Well, then why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. But this system of law was to last only until the coming of the child to whom God's promise was made. And there's this further difference. God gave his laws to angels to give to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is needed if two people enter into an agreement, but God acted on his own when he made his promise to Abraham. Well, then, is there a conflict between God's law and God's promises? It's a key question. Absolutely not. If the law could have been given, it could have, could have given us new life, we would have been able to be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin, so the only way to receive God's promise is by faith in Jesus Christ. Until faith in Christ was shown to us as the way of becoming right with God, we were guarded by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could put our faith in the coming Savior. Let me put this another way. The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. But now that faith in Christ has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So you are all children of God through faith in Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians, and you are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and now all the promises he gave to Abraham, he's given to you. So that is Galatians chapter 3. And here's the point, you've heard Paul say it over and over again, faith in Christ, it was, it was fit by faith Abraham received the promise, and it's that same faith applied by a Gentile or Jew, male, female, slave, or free, any believer, anyone who puts their faith in Christ receives that promise that God gave to Abraham. So the law was our guardian, it, as Paul just said, given to us to show us that we were sinful, to teach us about God's ways and that we were all have fallen short of that. Um, And I want to dive into Hebrews because this is a important book, too, in this conversation. I'm going to read just a few verses, but I hope that this kind of settles some things in us, in our hearts as we walk through this. Now, the, the letter of the Hebrews was written to the Jewish people, and here's what was happening. Jewish believers were actually under persecution. They were returning to the old covenant because of because other Jews were pressuring them because they had given their lives to Jesus. And so this letter was written to Jews who were Christians saying, don't go back to the law of Moses. And it's pretty clear when you read the letter, um, this is heavy theology and some meat, but and so I encourage you guys to, in your own, just like you could read the letter to Galatians, to study Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 in particular. Um, and I'm going to hit some of these verses just to make a few points as we continue the conversation about the law. So I'm going to read Hebrews 8, starting verse 6 through 13. Our high priest, Jesus, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the ministry of those who serve under the old laws, for he is the one who guarantees for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one. He's talking about the Mosaic covenant, not the promise to Abraham. And he quotes Jeremiah 31. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds so they will understand them and I will write them on their hearts so they will obey them. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their family saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me and I will forgive their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and ready to be put aside. So the Mosaic Covenant, this is, again, written to Jews saying, God is making some changes to what you understand about the Mosaic Covenant. And he goes on to explain further uh, in chapter 9. I'm going to pick up in verse 11 for the sake of time. Listen to this. This is really, really key. And I I think there's some revelation here that we're going to need. Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that great, perfect sanctuary in heaven, not made by human hands and not part of this created world. Once for all time, he took blood into that most holy place, but not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood, and with it, he secured our salvation forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are invited can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now, when someone dies and leaves a will, no one gets anything until it is proved that the person who wrote that will is dead. This will go into effect only after the death of the person who wrote it. While the person is still alive, no one can use the will or get anything uh, of the things that were promised to them. So this is really, really key. I want to pause here. We understand this in in marriage. You marry someone until death do you part, correct? You don't break the law. You're not committing adultery if your spouse dies and you marry another person correct that's what the author of hebrews is saying god right if you think about the covenant in sinai god married israel i'm not going to develop that idea because you can read about it on your own it's many people have taught that he's entering into a covenantal marriage relationship with israel now it just so happens that he himself died he allowed himself as the husband to die, thus freeing his wife, Israel, and the rest of the world to enter into a new covenant. So when he's resurrected, the old covenant no longer applies. He is establishing a new marriage relationship with human, with human humanity. He's changed the terms on which we have a relationship with him. That's why when, when the, the veil is torn, when Christ is, dies, he says it's finished right and this veil is torn in the temple and that veil guys is not like a bridal veil real thin you know silk fabric no this is a thick six inch thick piece of woven carpet that was seamless and it it ripped from top to bottom that's the father's heart saying i'm i am open for business i want you i want all my children to come into me my 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 firstborn son has made a way. We, this old covenant is gone. Enter into the new covenant. You have a, a better high priest. You have more precious blood than the blood of bulls and goats. This, and, and so this is the appeal that the author of the letter of the Hebrews is making. Um, we have a better covenant now. God's promise that he made to Abraham is coming to fulfillment through Christ. So Christ fulfills the law with meaning, as we've already talked about, the uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you heard it said, Moses said, uh, well, God through Moses said, don't commit murder. I'm here to tell you, one who's greater than Moses is here to tell you, don't even hate your brother in your heart. That's the true intent of the law. You've heard, you've heard it said through, through the Mosaic law, don't commit adultery. One who is greater than Moses is here saying the intent is you would have your heart purged from lust. You would not... Look to consume another human being for your sexual appetite. Um, that's the true inworking power of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Christ that can cleanse the inside of the cup. It was not available. That wasn't happening through the Mosaic Covenant. That's the point. It, the Mosaic Covenant, again, going back to Paul in Galatians, highlights the sin of humanity, shows us that we're falling short, shows us that we can never achieve this. No one ever was righteous under that law except Christ. But he himself didn't fulfill every law and commandment of those 613. Why? Well, he wasn't a woman. And there's certain commands that only apply to women. Jesus was not a woman, right? So, you know, <laughs> he is he's made a new way by his own shed blood to free us from one husband to marry another husband. It just happens to mean we're marrying the same person. I hope that all makes sense. I'm going to continue on because Krista actually quoted this. Uh, earlier, we can come boldly to the throne of God. And this is the context that that this scripture in Hebrews is, is, is made. Uh, starting in verse 8, Christ says, You did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burned on the altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he added, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. It's really important. Christ canceled the Mosaic Law. He set up a new way of relating to the Father. Jesus said himself, no one comes to the Father but through me. There's one way. It's by the blood of the Lamb. And again, the Mosaic Law points, all of the blood sacrifices we've been reading about point to the ultimate blood sacrifice. All of the lambs slaughtered for 1,500 years on Passover pointed to the Passover Lamb. And so these are types, shadows, uh, the, the, obviously the, the moral law of God has been, it existed before, uh, he gave the law to Moses. It was wrong to commit murder when Cain killed Abel. The law of Moses didn't, you know, it's just stating what was already woven into the universe. So the moral laws of God, uh, he, God's not saying it's okay to commit adultery now. That's not what he's saying, but our obligations to that law are changed. Because of the blood of Christ and because of the ratification of that new agreement that God has made through the shed blood of Jesus. And so when you come down to verse 19, and so, dear friends, this is the whole point. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain. That's the veil by means of his death for us. We have a great high priest who rules over God's people. Let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts, fully trusting him. For our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. We've got to understand, he talks about in these chapters, there's, the high priest was the only one who could ever go into God's presence. And that was one day a year. That's on the day of atonement. And so God has thrown open that veil for us all to come in. It's, it's an, it's an amazing—think about all the ordinances we've read about to be a high priest and all that was required of these, uh, these priestly tribes to minister before the Lord. He said at one point, if you even look at the instruments and the utensils, you die, right? Uh, the, the severity of this covenant that Israel's under was serious business. We talked about last week, you know, strange fire, and uh, we talked about Uzzah touching the Ark of the Covenant and God killing him. I mean, he's holy. And so sin is a big deal. Sin can't be in God's presence. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, now it's not just the high priest. Jesus is the high priest now. He's gone in and sprinkled his blood and we can boldly come into God's presence because of that blood. The way has been made clear. The curtain has been opened. So every tribe and tongue can now come in and worship the father because of what Christ has done for us. And so the result of this this revelation for the, Hebrew Christians that are getting this letter should have been, there's no way we go back to the old covenant. There, we, we are under a better covenant. We cannot compromise. And this letter was given so that they would endure because he goes on uh, to talk about Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith and saying, you know, pay the price, count the cost. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. The new covenant is superior and it is the fulfillment of God's promises. His covenantal work has been fulfilled through his son, who died for all humanity. So that is the relationship that, that a new covenant believer has with the law of Moses. The law of Mo- We are not under the law of Moses. We're in, the, we're in the new covenant. But the law of Moses can teach us so much about God's heart and who he is. It's revelatory. Like Paul says, it's a tutor. It's a guardian. It is absolutely worth studying the law of Moses. And learning about, because that's why God gave it. His revelation is in it. The Bible says it's a perfect law. There's nothing wrong with the law. The error is with humanity. I mean, think about this. This is mind-blowing to me. God is perfect. God wrote a perfect law. He gave that perfect law to imperfect man. Imperfect man then used that perfect law to murder the perfect God. There's only one broken link in that chain, and that's humanity. We took God's law and we murdered God. That's how evil and wicked and depraved, and these are the religious guys, right, that partnered with a secular government who was looking for expedience to put to death the the most righteous person who ever lived. And so the problem isn't with the law. The problem is within the heart of man and the sin sickness that's infected our own hearts. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Um, That's why Paul's arguing in Galatians 3, don't try to complete the work that God started in the spirit by trying to go back and performing for God and somehow earning uh, some kind of righteousness from God by trying to keep this law. Don't do it. Don't go back. It's the same message in Hebrews. Don't go back. He's a higher, you've got a better high priest now. There's the blood of Christ is superior to the blood of bulls and goats. And so you know, he's paid the price, we're covered by his blood, and his righteousness has been imputed to us as believers, Gentile, Jew, male, female. The good news is, we all get Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. There are distinctives, like, you know, people say, well, does that mean then that there's, that the Jewish people don't have a call? No, of course not. This is, uh, the, the point is, if you're a Jew, and you put your faith in Yeshua, you get Yeshua. If you're a Gentile, and you put your faith in Yeshua, you get Yeshua. There's still distinctives between men and women. There are New, New, New Testament uh, teachings that are applied to, to women and wives and mothers, and men, husbands and fathers. So there still are distinctives. Paul's not saying suddenly there's no, there's no such thing as a woman or a man. No, there are distinctives that, that we are, we're called to fulfill. But in terms of our inheritance, our reward, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, and we talked about it, Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, joint heirs together of the promises that God made Abraham, right? There's no Jew or Gentile. Abraham is the father of faith. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, the same faith that, that was God declared him righteous is the same faith that we put in God's, the gift of God's son. And so, I hope this is all tracking as we're reading through the law. Uh, it's important as we uh, glean truth and we glean what God has done in a previous uh, covenantal dispensation. The promise of Abraham is still active. The Abrahamic covenant hasn't changed. God's fulfilling that. There's a, mechan- uh, a a different change in terms of the covenantal terms. That's important for us to understand. Our first husband sacrificed himself and died so we could marry a second, a, a second husband it just happens to be the same person <laughs> so I know it's a little uh, a little dense uh, tonight but I wanted I just felt the Lord saying we need to set this let his let his new covenant word inform our understanding as we're reading through the law to understand what he is saying to us as New Testament believers Finally I just want to say one word about numbers I was in my heart I, I shared it on the breadcrumbs this morning but you know, why, when you're looking through numbers as we transition to this book, there are some narrative passages in there that the story is unfolding as Israel goes through the wilderness, but they're recording genealogies, they're recording so many lists, uh, all of this uh, technical information that God is wanting recorded for posterity is having Moses recorded. Why? Well, one word, uh, remember. This word is said, is used 240 times between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and You know, we forget. Human beings forget. And I just felt as I was praying this morning, like, you know, this is a lesson for us. You know, a lot of us have prophetic history. God's spoken things over our lives. And we can we can easily forget our own story. You know, do we write down what God is saying? Uh, We got to remember how good he is and be thankful for what he's done. Everything is 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 progressive and leading us up to the moment that we're in right now or the season that we're in right now. And he's prepared us for this season. He's going to prepare us for the next, but it's easy to get lost in the moment because we're human beings and we, get, we kind of keep our, our eyes kind of fall to the ground and what's immediately in front of us. And the Lord, I think Numbers is a great book for us to remember that simple lesson. I want you to remember what I did for you in Egypt. And I'm to, I want you to record all that's going on uh, so that you don't forget. And other generations are going to have this information to understand uh, you know, what I've done and what the storyline is. Uh, for posterity. So that's just a little intro to numbers. I know that's really brief. Um, I want to pause so we can finish up tonight just with some feedback conversation around what we talked about with the law. So uh, yeah, Krista, I know you have your hand up. Go ahead.
0: If I may, I just wanted to say that is just so great what you just shared and it is a lot. Um, It is a lot in in the terms, especially of where you're touching on the marriage. And I think that we should, we will continue to unpack that as we get into Deuteronomy. And we see more of the verses that kind of lay that out. But as to what you were saying, I just wanted to also highlight some clarity on a couple of things. Because I think sometimes when we focus on certain scriptures, without the balance of some other scriptures, we can get lost in a direction. And so we need like all of it um, to help us have the fullness. And so you know, we also know that the, that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, you know, and so he, and, and what you're saying is, okay, the law got canceled. So some might take that as, oh yeah, well, it's actually canceled, but yet he said he didn't come to abolish it. It's because this power of sin was broken through what Christ did. That's how he fulfilled the law. And then, you know, like uh, Pastor Jed was sharing earlier, um, sin, actually the intent of all of these things and our relationship with God as he transforms our mind in the renewing of the word, he leads us in passive righteousness to better understand what he's written on our heart, which is the law that he's now put, placed in another place. Like he said, he's just do- doing it in a different way. But I wanted to point out before we move on entirely, um, Romans chapter six, and I just want to read a couple of these verses, and then I encourage everyone to go and read that after we've talked through this, because it starts with, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of god sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law instead you live under the freedom of god's grace well then since god's grace has set us free from the law does that mean we can go on sinning of course not don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey you can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey god which which leads to righteous living Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Praise the Lord. So I feel like in totality, that sort of gives us both sides of it.
2: It's the same, it's the same message, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to obey Christ. He set you free from the penalty of the, of the law. He's residing in you to, to sanctify you which is the way that you can live righteous before God is not by our righteousness is filthy rags, but Christ in me, his righteousness and the way he leads by the Holy spirit. If you're the same as you were 10 years ago, something's wrong. You know, if you've never been convicted for sin by the Holy spirit, you need to, we need to ask ourselves those questions. Like what's going on. But if you have been, and you can, you can feel the, the power of the Lord in your life, teaching you, training you, uh, delivering you, healing you, uh, changing your mindsets and leading you to a more victorious life in him. That's that's the inheritance that we have through the relationship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Krista. Uh, just want to open up for other folks to, to comment. I know it's a pretty thick, meaty chunk this evening, but since we're in the law, it's good to have this conversation, I think. Are there other thoughts out there?
1: In understanding that there is a theology that says, once saved, always saved. And that is not what you're saying. What you're saying is, is that Christ has given us access and the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live lives led by him, because he does not lead us to sin. The Bible tells us that he does not tempt us to sin. It's impossible. Amen. It's not even there. So in when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, who is our guide, who leads us, he leads us into righteousness. He may lead us into the wilderness like he did Christ, but it was not into sin. And the power that sin had over each of us, because Satan was our taskmaster, he is no longer. We are now in Christ. That's why Ephesians says it over and over again, from chapter one, verse one, all the way through. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's an actual positioning in christ jesus in christ will sin show up yes but do i have to give in to that absolutely not because the spirit of god does not sin and he is the power that will keep us from doing it and as i've said before even when we look at the new covenant and the things that christ said they are a i would say they're even more challenging if you're not led by the spirit and you try to do it in, in your own. Jesus said, love your enemy. The Old Testament said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth." That is not what Christ teaches us in Matthew chapter five. He says, he says, love your enemy, bless those who curse you and do good to those who despitefully use you. So God is not saying do whatever you want to do and I'm accepting and that's okay. What he's saying is I've given you my spirit that will lead you into the things that are pleasing to me so that you can stand right before me and you can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Because sin no longer can hold you in captivity and in bondage.
2: Amen. Well, even in today's, the daily reading, you know, there's a portion in Leviticus there that's all about a jealousy offering for a a husband that believes his wife is committing adultery. And I was just thinking about the adulterous woman, you know, Jesus, this adulterous woman is caught in the very act of adultery brought out before Christ. They want to kill her, which is right. Exactly what the law says to do. But the one who wrote that law, you got to remember, God wrote the law with his finger, says it in Exodus, the first tablets, God wrote it on a. Tablet of stone, Moses smashes it when he comes down and they're worshiping the golden calf. But um, Jesus stoops over in the dirt and starts writing with his finger in the ground. Um, And some scholars debate about what he's writing. And some say, well, he's writing the sins of the people that are in the crowd there. Um, I don't know. I just, I believe he's saying, I am. I was there when I wrote that law. And I'm not condemning this woman. Let the first one who's without sin, let him throw the first stone. And, of course, they all walk away. Where are the ones that condemn you? Uh, They've all left, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's not condoning her sin, nor is he uh, not addressing it. But the, the, the righteous judge is the one who, he wrote that law. He has every right to apply that law in any situation as he deems fit. So, you remember, they're trying to kill him for the Sabbath. You know, you're healing on the Sabbath. You're eating grain on the Sabbath. And he says, man, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. I made Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys are missing my heart. You are so hung up on, you know, you would not heal this man with the withered hand because it's a Saturday. I'm stretch out your hand and I'll show you that I'm here to forgive sins. That's the compassion. That's the beauty. That's the mercy of God who wrote that law. He's not bound by it. He's not bound by the by the way that men and, and and religious leaders want to apply that law. He is a righteous judge. And so he's setting an, uh, an example of, again, fulfilling the law with meaning. Um, you know, he, he mercy triumphs over judgment. Go and think about this. He says at one point to the Pharisees. Right. I, my, I, I delight in mercy. Go think about that for a little bit. Um, so anyway, other thoughts out there. As we're chewing on uh, this, and I just want to say up front, guys, like, these are just thoughts that I felt in my own heart. I'm not saying Jed's got all the answers by any stretch, but I looking at the word of God, and I'm thankful for that we're in the new covenant, because we're living in the days that the prophets long to see. We're living in the days of some of the greatest fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures that, that the prophets longed to see. For thousands of years, they've been unfolding. You know, we just read in Leviticus 26, God actually says to Israel, "I'm going to scatter you to the nations because you're not going to obey me." And He says it in Deuteronomy 30, the second telling of the law, says, "I'm going to scatter you all over the earth, but I'm going to regather you back for the sake of the promise I made to the ancestors." And so He's going to fulfill His promise, and He knows before they take one step into the into the land, they're going to fail. But how comforting that is! That God's will and his faithfulness is what everything is predicated upon. God is going to complete and he's going to fulfill that promise he made because that was a covenantal, unilateral declaration of intent. Abraham, through you, every family on the earth is going to be blessed. And we're living in the days where that's taking place. And the people of Israel have been regathered from so many of the countries that God did scatter them. And that's a great prophetic witness to the power and the testimony of God's word and he says to the nations the nations are when i do this this is in ezekiel the nations are going to know that i'm the lord when i regather you the nations are going to know that i'm the lord amen other uh, other questions or thoughts about what we're talking about this evening
1: he didn't give the laws because he thought men could keep them he did not he knew that we would not that we would fail miserably But the law came so that we would understand the great need that we have for him. And he already, when giving them through Moses, he already knew that he was going to give himself in order to fulfill his requirement for the fulfilling of it. That's who God is. And he is the very reason why, no matter what it looks like, it seems like, or it sounds like, always remember, we must. That he is a God of love and compassion, and he is working to fulfill what he tried to establish in Genesis, in chapter one, for man to walk with him, to know him through revelation and personal relationship in the cool of the day.
3: Amen. Amen. Um, For me, I'm just really blessed uh, by everything that was said today, because. Um, Like it has been mentioned earlier, uh, many people have always had the belief that the Old Testament is obsolete because uh, Jesus came with the new covenant. And so really, really um, setting the foundations with uh, Romans chapter 6 and and, uh, Galatians chapter 3 was really a blessing for me. Um, uh, And I'm just reminded how faithful God is. Now he never fails. And when he makes a promise, he will keep it. And, and I, I think it was a time when I, I, I'm, um, Pastor Sylvia reminded me also that, you know, the old covenant was, was a shadow of the real thing to come, which was Christ Jesus. So, um, it, I mean, I, I get a very good understanding that Christ is the fulfillment and that if I just trust in him, am I led by him? Um, He will not contradict his own covenant. He will not contradict his own commandments because as he said, Pastor Jed, that he gave those commandments. He gave them. So if we are led by him, he will never lead us to break those commandments he gave us in the first place. So I just know that I shouldn't live in fear. I shouldn't live in doubt of whether or not I'm keeping the commandments. If I am just, uh, if I've just given myself to God and I'm, I'm, I'm being led by his spirit, the helper he promised unto me, that I'm going to be fine, I'm going to be fine. all I need to do is be fervent in seeking after him in the reading of my word in prayer and in trying to do his will for my life. so this is really a blessing this is really a blessing um, 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 um I mean one one thing I take with me is the Old Testament will show us the true nature of god all right uh, and 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 God without Christ, the perfect law keeper, we will always break it so um, one, the reason more why we should place our trust in God, because uh, God said that we should believe in the one who, who he sent, which was Christ Jesus. So I will place my faith in Christ
2: Jesus. Amen. It's well said. And Moses himself, right, says in, in Deuteronomy, hey, there's a prophet coming after me. You're going to need to do everything he says. You know, Moses knew uh, of Christ coming. In fact, Moses is on. We talked about the Mount of Transfiguration a couple weeks back. You know, Moses saw Jesus. Moses understood God's plan uh, in a way that very, very few people did before his coming. Um, And so it's in Abraham, I mean, the letter to Hebrews said, Abraham saw the new Jerusalem. He longed for the city not made by the hands of man, but the the city made by the hands of God. So even in Father Abraham's uh, faith. He had a vision for New Jerusalem coming down, Jesus ruling and reign. you got to remember, he saw Melchizedek, the king of righteousness who rules Salem, this, the place of peace, Jerusalem. Uh, you know, Abraham had this in his heart. He had revelation. And so we are running this leg of, of the faith that's been handed down to us. Uh, and we've got to be, uh, as you said, Terrence, so humble and grateful for the, the free gift of the one who God sent on our behalf to make mediation for us and to ratify that new covenant by his shed blood. That's why, to me, the Passover, and I guess I should say this, you know, God's calendar hasn't changed. You know, these, the, fe- the feasts has, are, are just declaring the story of Christ. Every single one of them, Jesus has already fulfilled the spring feasts. The fall feasts will be fulfilled when he comes back. Um, but when Jesus institutes the sacrament of what we call communion, he institutes it right into the Passover sacrament. He says, this is, this is my body. This bread that you've been breaking for 1,500 years, this is me. This, this, the cup that you've been blessing, the four cups, this is all pointed to my blood that's going to be poured out to ratify this new covenant that God has promised. Um, and he said, I've longed to eat this meal with you. Amen. This is, he's a relational God. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And he's made every way possible for that to occur and for him to tabernacle in our own hearts individually. And he says, You're the temple of God, right? You're being fit together, jointly fit together, brothers and sisters, stones, living stones, and the Holy Spirit inhabits us as his people. Um, it's a mind blowing, beautiful. Uh, fulfillment and culmination that we're, we're no eye has seen, no ear has heard of what it's really going to be like when when he establishes his kingdom on earth. But these are the deepest longings of the human heart that we were made to experience God and his pleasure forever. Anyone else have any thoughts before we bring this particular uh, session to a close?
4: Um, I just wrote Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Uh, the two greatest commandments love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I like to keep it simple. And I feel like if I can love the Lord my God and love my neighbor as myself all the Ten Commandments are going to be fulfilled because they fall under righteous living. And if I can do those two things, um, it's going to be a good day. So <laughs> it's just real. It's, I think those are the very hardest commandments to keep because we're selfish. Amen. And we think of ourselves first other than putting others first and so this has been a great study and a great conviction i appreciate it
2: Amen. i love what you said cindy and that's it is got, he boils it all down if you keep the law of love you're not going to break any of the commandments but and i will say this too even if someone wanted to obey the mosaic law like you simply can't because the there is no temple right now and <laughs> because of the shed blood of Christ, the blood of bulls and goats is obsolete. So the sacrificial system has been dealt with because of Christ. So the, although we can study the, the Mosaic law uh, and understand what God was doing and what it was teaching us, it was pointing always pointing to Christ. There's no way to fulfill it today, even if you wanted to um, in terms of the the, the totality of it. Um, and so I love, you know, Cindy, it's a great place I think for us to end tonight, just boiling it all back down to, This is why God gave the law was to teach us how to love. And the reason, you know, we've struggled is because to your point, you just said it, human beings are sinful and selfish. And so we take that perfect law and abuse it. And we don't love God well, we don't love one another well. And so as we walk more and more with the Holy Spirit and we go through the scriptures, that's the goal is that Lord willing, this time next year we'll have been through the whole word of God and we will be, you know, like a, stair, a staircase going up, you know, you get that to the next flight of stairs and you can look down. and go, man, made some, made some headway. We're progressing. Oswald Chambers said, don't, don't judge your Christian life by what happened yesterday. Take a look at where, where you were a year ago. And if you can see progress, like rejoice, like God is walking with us through our life. He's teaching us at work. He's teaching us through our marriages. He's, teach, he's taught me so many lessons about him, him as a father through my own children. And I've blown it a bunch with my kids, you know, like none of us are perfect. Um, but it's his love for us. He's, he loves us so much. He loves the world. He gave his only son. Uh, love is the impulse that moves God, not, not his desire to punish, not his desire. And, you know, he, de- he desires that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. Amen. And so, yes, there is great uh judgment coming once and for all but we're living in the time where we still have time for the world to turn even the thief on the cross turned at the very last moment of his life and found his way into paradise and so praise god for revelation and and as we close again tonight we just think about what's going on in ukraine and pieces on the on the geopolitical map are moving God is moving, you know, there's what we see in the natural, but there's things happening in the spirit that we don't quite understand or perceive with as much clarity. It's not like we understand with clarity even what's happening geopolitically, much less so spiritually, unless we're rooted and grounded in the word and being informed by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. There's things that are unfolding. The gospel is still going forth with power. There's over 40,000 Chinese, for example, getting saved every day. You know, we're praying for revival in America. There's revival point out in the world today. We're, we are in the end times harvest. It's not something that's coming. We're in it. It's it's happening. And so as we let that inform our hearts, the wheat and the tares grow together simultaneously. Wickedness and righteousness growing together until they're both harvested into the barn. Uh, amen. So let me just close this in prayer. Uh, Father, uh, <laughs> Thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray over what we read tonight. We read so much scripture, but we want your word to to inform us as we study your word that because of Christ and what you've done for us, help us to understand the Mosaic covenant. Help us to understand the promises made to Abraham and how we fit into those promises and how every tribe and tongue fit into those promises and Israel fits into those promises. Lord, help us to understand the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. And we're just asking as we study your word that it would change our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and the families represented on this line. Lord, just ask whatever was said. If there's anything that's been said that's not in accordance with your spirit, Lord, it would fall to the ground. But that which has been uh, true and that which is in line with your word, that it would bear a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold of. Confident faith, not in man's righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ and in who you are as the Son of David, the Son of God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And we choose now to bow our knee to your leadership because we know one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess what we're confessing on this call tonight that you alone are worthy and you are the Lamb and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is faithful and true. And we look forward to the day when every the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and you rule and reign from Jerusalem. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. And so that will bring us to a close tonight. And I just want to encourage everyone um, to continue on in your reading. And if you would like to um, have some, um, you know, communications through the week, we have the breadcrumb videos that the facilitators, myself, Pastor Jed and Pastor Sylvia are doing daily. So you can find them at touroftruth.com every single day. There's a new devotional and a video. So that will help you potentially with going through um, unpacking some of the um, what we're reading at least up to our weekly meetings and then we'll look forward to seeing you guys again monday nights as we fellowship over god's word see you monday seven thirty next week shalom oh and invite your friends praise the lord let's make this make disciples
3: amen amen